Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. How many of you were scarred for life with a pastor stripping? (laughs) Well, we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians. We are... uh, in chapter 6, we're concluding today, and uh, how many of you enjoyed this, uh, this series? Has it been helpful? Good stuff? Yeah, awesome. It's been fantastic. Last week, um, Pastor Zach shared a brief but very powerful word on submitting to one another, which really comes out of a healthy and whole identity, and... Uh, Unfortunately, it wasn't recorded because we were at the park, but just a great, great word that he had shared with us. Just a little summary thing here. Knowing our identity in Christ is crucial as it affects, number one, ourselves. It affects ourselves, our emotional well-being. Secondly, it affects our relationship and our ability to love other people. If you do not have a clear identity from Christ, you will be preoccupied with yourself, and you will not be able to love and serve others the way that you were created to do that. An ability to grow and mature in Christ really hinges upon, again, having that strong identity. And today we're going to talk about our ability to really walk in victory uh, over the enemy and expose his schemes that he continually brings to our lives is so important that we understand really who God has created us to be. We're going to jump into chapter 6 in verse, uh, beginning in verse 10 today. So let's stand together as I read this and uh, then we'll uh, just dive right into the word. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. Just bless it to our hearts. Open our hearts. A final word, be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you may be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. So, Father, again, we ask that you would come by your Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts to receive your word engrafted, which is able to change our lives. Lord, I just submit myself to you as your servant and as your vessel And I just pray that you would uh, speak your words through me to all of our hearts. And we just praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You'll notice here it begins by saying being strong in the Lord. Not trying to be strong in ourselves, but strong in the Lord. And he talks about putting on this armor for the reason that there are tricks and strategies. A mini translation uses the word schemes. 
There are schemes of the enemy that would uh, attack us. We're not fighting against people, against flesh and blood. And often it looks like that. It looks like the people around us. And, and uh, you know, at one time I said it'd be easy to be a pastor if it wasn't for the people. Um, but it's, it's sometimes we lose our perspective. And, and Scripture reminds us of the fact that the enemy is our enemy. He is the one that is coming after us. One of the clear examples that we see in our culture today is the confusion that he is bringing in the whole trans movement. Uh, you look at that and you may look at people and people's opinions and things, but it is not a human engineered thing. It's not somehow we've suddenly figured out scientifically that humans are not clearly male or not clearly female. Um, but it really is a specific onslaught of the enemy to mess with people's identity. Because if he messes with your identity, he takes out your foundation. He takes out your ability to be able to uh, understand who he has created you to be and what the purpose that you're created to be. And so uh, I'm just picking on this particular thing because it's such a a big thing in our culture right now. And it's a, uh, again, it's an attack about, uh, for, to attack on our identity. We have highly educated people deceived by a demonic stronghold that gender is fluid, when in reality, every single one of the hundred trillion cells in our body are either male or female, X or Y chromosome. It's just a reality. It's a fact. And yet we have highly educated people who are disputing that and uh, are, are bringing a tremendous amount of uh, confusion. And so we see, again, the fruit of this is uh, with trying to transition from male to female um, brings tremendous, tremendous harm into people's lives. You can't physically do that. You can't change 100 trillion cells to a different thing. So you have these cosmetic surgeries. Uh, you have these hormone replacement uh, therapies. But the result of that, I just read this week, is that after 10 years, the rate of suicide is up 1,900%. 19 times. Do you think that's a strategy of the enemy? It's a strategy of the enemy to destroy, to maim, to steal from people what they have. It's interesting, even Richard Dawkins, you guys know who Richard Dawkins, uh, acclaimed atheist, biologist? He says this is completely ridiculous. And, and of course the trans community is feeling like they've been thrown under the bus because he has been on their side, uh, on the side of secularism. But uh, even he sees that. We see in our culture, there was a recent study of a thousand young girls. 30% of them uh, were not clear about their identity. 30%. Just 20 years ago, that was one in 10,000 that struggled with that. And so it's, again, it's a, a stronghold that the enemy is doing. And he's bringing confusion among the church. Because we are confused, well, should we be compassionate? Should we be accepting? But it's not accepting to accept somebody's false identity. 
That's not compassionate. That's not love to help uh, to basically agree with the enemy in doing that. And so I, I tell you that simply because that is just one example of how the enemy begins to attack and destroy in our sense of identity. Now, probably most of us here are not struggling uh, with our uh, sexual identity, but you know, every one of us struggles with our God identity. To some uh, capacity or another, every one of us is struggling with that. We're in the process of being able to, uh, to do that. So the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 6, he talks about this spiritual warfare. It's like, how do we deal with, how do we uh, attack this area of identity that the enemy is attacking us in? How do we react? How do we respond to that? And so he says, you need to put on the armor of God. You need to put on the armor of God. And as I, I studied through this in the last few weeks, I just could see so clearly how this ties into this whole theme of identity here in Ephesians. He goes on in verse 13, he says, use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil so that after the battle you will still be standing firm. Now, the time of evil, it's, it's in our day and age, but it's every day that you face this onslaught of the enemy, whether it be through fear, through anxiety, through lack of peace, through uh, confusion and chaos in your life, that is the time of evil, and so you need to put on the armor. Now, what, what is the armor, actually? It's, it's certainly not a physical thing, but it's really a mental thing. It's a thought process. It's a revelation. It's an understanding that completely exposes and uh, shows the enemy's schemes for what it is. Now, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul uses a, a Greek word here about putting on that's very similar to what we looked at in Ephesians chapter 4 when I was stripping off my bibs and putting on my coat. Uh, it's a different word, but it is a similar word. And I believe that his point and his purpose was to help us to realize it's not complicated. It's relatively simple. And so, again, I could have had somebody uh, make some armor for me, but I'm just going to make it simple. The Greek word is to slip into a piece of clothing. Well, that wasn't too hard, was it? Is my collar down? <laughs> that was a very simple thing to do, right? To slip into it. So what I'm saying to you, the Apostle Paul says, it's not complicated. Now, it's also not easy, right? Because it's a battle. It's a fight. A friend of mine had listened online to my message, and he says, you know, it's really hard for me to change my thinking. I can change my behaviors and my actions much easier in my thinking. And I thought, yeah, that's true probably of most of us because our thinking is sometimes unthoughtful. Do you understand that? It just happens. It just flows. And so we, we have all these thoughts. We allow the enemy's thoughts into our mind. We, we get influenced by those around us in our thinking. And so we, we don't stop and allow it to be examined and to be looked at. And so... Uh, we, we need to learn to do that in this putting on the armor because 
I walked over there. I was very deliberate. I was very intentional. And I slipped on this jacket. And so we have to do that on a, on a moment-by-moment basis if we're going to be able to uh, thwart and uh, uh, stop the schemes of the enemy of having influence in our life. Now, we're going to also see that it's going to take the grace and the power of God for that to happen. It's not something you just do on your own. Changing your thinking is something that takes supernatural power of the Holy Spirit working in you. And so we, we, uh, we lean upon him. We'll talk more about that. But let's talk about the individual uh, pieces of armor. It says, first of all, in the verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the sturdy belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. So first of all, he talks about this belt. Now the belt was really the piece that held all of the other armament. It is what held it together. He says this belt of truth. Truth is under complete attack in our culture, in our society. Uh, That which conforms to reality is no longer what we use as a standard for truth. We have your truth, we have my truth, and it's based upon feelings more than facts, right? And it's, it's interesting as you look at, at people coming to conclusions in, in saying this, uh, this is not, again, by accident. This is a scheme of the enemy that would affect people's thoughts and minds. And if you're not aware of it, you're going to be sucked into that. This is what it says in Romans that I think describes in many ways our culture of exchanging truth for lies. He says in Romans chapter 1, he says, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like that resulted, that the result was that in their minds they became dark and confused. Remember in chapter 4 we talked about the futility of our mind. That, that happens when we don't allow God to be the formula, formulator of our thoughts. Claiming to be wise... They became utter fools instead. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere men um, or mere people or birds or animals and snakes. So God let them go ahead and do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God. They deliberately chose to believe lies. So they worshiped the things God made, but not the creator himself, who is to be praised forever. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result, suffered within themselves the penalty they so richly deserved. Now, do you see how the enemy uses the undermining of truth, the undermining of absolutes, to bring in all kinds of chaos and all kinds of confusion into a a culture? And so that rejection of God leaves us again without a foundation, without a a uh, sense of reality. It's very, very clear in Scripture 
in Genesis chapter 1. It says, so God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself. Male and female, he created them. And so there's a, there's a, a rebellion against that. And again, people are not even conscious because they're being influenced by this scheme and by this strategy of the enemy that, that comes in. C.S. Lewis said, uh, the most dangerous thoughts uh, are not, or ideas rather, the most dangerous ideas are not those who are, that are being debated, but those who are being assumed. And we're, we're seeing this assumption into our culture. A friend of mine was speaking at a, a local uh, Bible college, and uh, he was uh, uh, substituting, I guess you could say, for a, a friend and uh, it was on sexuality, and uh, he, he asked the group uh, of students, he says, how many of you believe that a person uh, can be born gay, that it's just intrinsic in their nature? A hundred percent of the students said yes. They raised their hand. That's what they believed. Now, that's what has happened in a culture, again, that has uh, been inundated Again, with a scheme of the enemy. It's interesting, in 2000, there was uh, about a dozen studies that were made. A guy was convinced that if he took uh, a uh, straight person and a gay person and examined their brain, that they would be, uh, there'd be a difference in them. And at first of all, he said, yes, there is. There's all this difference. He finally recanted. And there was about a dozen other studies of people looking into uh, the physiological uh, difference or trying to find a physiological difference within people. Um, those dozen studies were bought up by the University of Utah who said there's absolutely no difference. There is no physiological difference that can be found. There's no difference in the brain. There's nothing that can be examined. Now, it's interesting that the media during the last 20 years has said the exact opposite. They have been saying, yes, there is a difference, there is. And so that brainwashes people. That, that brings it to a place where we are in our society now where it's simply accepted. Again, the scheme is, is to bring confusion. It's to bring an undermining of who God says that we are. And so truth, the belt of truth is so important that we realize there is an absolute truth. There is something that we can stand on. It's been true forever. It will be forever. And, and God is the, the author of that. The second piece he talks about here is this body armor, or what many uh, versions of Scripture say, the, the breastplate of righteousness. And that is to cover our vital organs. Okay, The breastplate was to cover the heart, the, the vital organs. And, and so um, this concept of the righteousness of God uh, is what really covers who we are. Now, what does that mean? It simply means this, that you have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. You have been made righteous, past tense, by the finished work on Calvary. When Jesus said it is finished, and when you received Christ into your heart, you became righteous. Now, it's just like we talked about two weeks ago in talking about being made new. It's, well, no, it's a process, you know. Uh, 
If any man be in Christ, he is becoming a new creation. Does it say that? No, it doesn't say that. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is, past tense, a new creation. Now, that seems like cognitive dissonance. It seems like, how can I be righteous when I am looking at my life and I am not perfect? I have sinned. I have done things that uh, I don't want to do. But this is the, the, the fact, as we looked at it as being made new, Paul said, I no longer look, this is first, 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 5.16, I no longer look and examine a person according to the flesh, but if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. I begin looking and seeing not only myself, but I see others as new creations. And so here, Scripture says, you and I are righteous. Now, uh, how many of you have been a part of AA? Any of you have been a part of AA? Okay. Some of you have been a part of AA. One of the things they do at AA, uh, as I understand it because I watch TV, is uh, they introduce themselves, right? I am Rod, and I am an alcoholic. Isn't that something that happens? This is, this is what we do. I am Rod, and I am a righteous, victorious Christian. That's how we need to stand. We need to have that stood into our hearts. Now, we need to practice. Okay, everybody stand. Okay, find somebody as a partner and say, I am, give them your name, and say, a righteous, victorious Christian. Say it out loud, okay? Okay. I... Uh, I hear some chuckling. You may be seated. <laughs> I hear some chuckling because some of you do not absolutely believe that. <laughs> we are in the process of coming to that place, right? I am a righteous, victorious Christian because that's who God says I am. That's what the Word says I am. And that truth is greater than any other truth there is what God says about me, because there is something beyond what you see on the outside, what you see in the natural, what you see from a human perspective. That's who God says. That is your identity. And when you begin to believe that identity, you begin to live out that identity. So we want to say, okay, when I start being perfect, then I'm going to call myself perfect. And, and somehow we somehow put together this Honesty, humility, perspective. So if I'm just trying to be honest. I'm just trying to be humble and say it like it really is. But we're missing a reality of what God has done on the inside of us. That he bankrupted heaven to redeem us. Not just to forgive us. Sometimes we think, well, I've been forgiven. Thank God I've been forgiven. I'm getting to go to heaven. No, it's way deeper than that. It's much deeper than that. Redemption is a, is a miracle of transformation, of making us new and making us righteous. And so, as I said, that armament is probably the hardest to be able to put on, but you need to put that on your mirror and every day say, I am a righteous, victorious Christian because that's who God says that I am. And as we get that into our spirit, then we have the power to be able to resist the enemy's schemes. Otherwise, we are un 
realizing it, uh, not being conscious of, unconsciously accepting the lies and the schemes of, en- of the enemy who defines us by our worst moments, right? He defines us by the things that are shameful. He defines us by our failure. He defines us by our inadequacies. And God says, no. Did you know that failure is not recorded in heaven? Failure is not recorded in heaven. I can tell you where I got that sometime, but not now. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15. He says, for shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Now, walking in God's peace is a deliberate choice. Again, it's not complicated, but it's not easy, right? It's something you slip on, you, you put on, but it's, um, it's, peace is a state of mind, okay? Again, we're talking about how we think, how we view ourselves, how we view our situation. And so uh, we can walk in a place of peace as, again, our minds are changed, our thoughts are changed, our perspective is changed. Philippians 4 in verse uh, 6 through 8 is a, a powerful scripture that, that everyone should memorize. Okay, this is a scripture everybody should memorize because, excuse me, as someone said, it is the foundation of mental health. A psychologist uh, from Billings, Montana said, if every one of his clients would practice Ephesians, uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 8, he would be out of business. And I, I, I believe that. Let's just uh, read that. Read this together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, uh, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, okay? So this is a matter of thinking. Now, how many of you can pray? Okay. Okay. The rest of you, yes, yes you can pray. Okay. Prayer is not complicated. It's not difficult. However, how many of us always pray? We don't, right? We, we, we struggle with that, and sometimes it's easier to worry than it is to pray. One version says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And so it's a discipline that we work into our hearts of saying, I am not going to allow myself to meditate and to stay in this place of, of anxiety and fear. Uh, I am going to give this to God. I'm going to pray about this. And the promise is, his peace is going to come. How many of you experience that? As you begin to pray, the peace comes. You know, uh, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. You know the song? How <laughs> the, the verse says, oh, what peace we often forfeit, right? Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And so it's not difficult and it's not complicated, but it's something that we have to do on a regular basis and and on on a very intentional way 
if we're going to be able to experience the peace that God has for us. So we learn to arrest our thoughts. We're starting to feel that, that anxiety come. We're starting to feel that fear. Okay, this is a time I need to pray. I need to get away. I need to commit this to God. So the fourth thing he says is the shield of faith. Um, Ephesians uh, 6.16. Put on the... Oh, I'm sorry. First of all... Um, I'm getting myself confused here. Okay. I think we... Well, I did some refining in my notes <laughs> this morning early, and uh, I think I, I messed it up. But it says, put on the shield of faith. So what, what is the shield of faith? First of all, what are the fiery darts of the enemy? And just lies, fiery darts of the enemy. Let's see, David. Attacks on your identity. What else? Accusations. Okay, so those are words from the enemy, right? Thoughts of the enemy that are coming to you. That's where the battle lies, right? It's not a physical battle. It's this this mental battle of the enemy coming against you. And he says, you need to hold up the shield of faith. Now, how does the shield of faith work with this thing of extinguishing the lies of the enemy? Basically, faith is knowing who God is, knowing that he is for you, and that he is greater. Okay, that's what faith is. It's not faith in myself, but it's faith in who God is. This is what it says in Hebrews. It is impossible to please God without faith. Okay, you, can't, you can't do this on your own. You need to trust who He is. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that there is a God and that He rewards those who diligently or, or rather sincerely seek Him. Okay, I need to know that when I go to God, he's going to be there for me. I need to know that when I pray, he is going to respond. Now, he may not respond according to my time. He may not respond in the way that I want him to. I mean, have you found that out? But know this, ultimately, God responds. And his word is true and that he causes all things to work together for good. When that conviction is in my heart, I can extinguish those lies of the enemy, those fears that he's bringing. I say, no, God is in me, and God is greater, and God is for me. That's that shield of faith. Now, uh, I just want to emphasize the fact that this, this shield of faith this, this uh, ability to stand in armament is not a pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You could walk away today, okay, I just need to change the way I think, change the way I think, mind over matter, mind over matter. No, that's not how it works. See, those who were in faith were not commended by what they did, but they were commended by their faith what they believed. It has to happen from the inside out, not the outside in. So it says, in Hebrews 11, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. So God created people. Um, okay, no, I'm all messed up. Okay. Um, the fact is that 
God is looking for our response because that's what influences against the enemy. A heart response of faith. So then we get to the helmet of salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation um, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What is the helmet? Again, the helmet protects our thinking, right? It's an, oh, we have, in salvation, we have been given the mind of Christ. We've been given a new way of thinking, not like the, the um, ungodly in the futility, but it's a new way of thinking that we have. And so as we put that on, we, we just, we proclaim that. We say, God, I have been given the mind of Christ. I, I, I rest in that. I don't have to somehow just do a mind over matter. It's a, a reality that you've put in me. And then he says, take the sword of the Spirit. Now, the sword is a, uh, an offensive weapon, right? It's not, the shield is defensive, but the sword is offensive. I go after the enemy. How do I go after the enemy? I go after the enemy by getting the word inside of me. We've been talking about the fact that we are accepted, that we're chosen, that we're loved, that we're blessed, that we're victorious, that we're forgiven, that we're gifted, that we've been made new, that we're victorious. Where do we get that? Where does that come from? It's the Word, right? It's the Scripture that we run to and we say, okay, who am I? And I, I find my identity there. And when I have that identity, I can... I can offensively go against the enemy's lies and schemes. He says, you'll never change. You're a failure. You're insignificant. You don't matter, et cetera, et cetera. He said, no, the word has already told me that I am chosen, that I'm loved, I'm victorious, I'm mighty in God. So again, we nullify the enemy's schemes by the truth of God's worth. It's very, very much connected. In fact, it's the basis of our faith. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Faith comes and becomes alive as we get the truth of God inside of us. The seventh thing that he, he brings to light is prayer. Now, prayer, again, is a kind of this all-encompassing aspect of how this thing happens. He says, pray at all times and on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere. So how does this process happen? This process comes as we seek God. He said no one can please God unless they believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. When we go to him in a place of prayer, we know that God wants me established in my identity more than I do. I go to prayer because I know that he wants me walking in peace more than I want to walk in peace. I go to him because he is for me and I am not on my own. I don't just have to figure this out. He is walking with me and he says, let's do this together. Let's bring you into a place of confidence, a place of victory, a place of strength. That's why I pray, because I know that he is there. Prayer dispatches the resource of heaven on my behalf. It releases the grace of God. It releases the power of God. It brings transformation within me. So as we, as we conclude today, 
Again, how do we walk this out on a Tuesday? How do we just live in this place? So first of all, we, we realize that we have to put our faith and our trust in God to be able to, to fight against the enemy. He started off by saying what? Be strong in the Lord and the strength of whose might? Of his might. So we, we don't have to come into a place of striving. Uh, we we kind of uh, automatically go to that place of striving. But the power of the gospel is the power of God, not the power of rod. Okay? Now that's easy for me to use because that, that fits together. But the power of the, God, of the gospel is the power of God, not the power of Marcella. And we need to get that deeply inside of us so we don't get into a place of striving because that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. We learn this in Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved, okay, redeemed, transformed, made new, victorious. You can add all those words there, through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, I have a, uh, my spiritual mentor, Dick Schroeder, he passed away two years ago, but his wife, Joy, is an amazing woman of God. I mean, she's just incredible. At 33 years of age, with a one-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son, <clears throat> she was hit by a car of a teenager who was driving in excess of 50 miles an hour and a 25-mile-an-hour zone and T-boned her. And uh, she became a quadriplegic. And so she has lived as a quadriplegic all of her life. And you can imagine the, the schemes and strategies of the enemy that would come against you when you are suddenly put in that position. And yet, Joy, by God's grace, chose to believe that God causes all things to work together for good. And she, she poured herself into discipling college students and has uh, literally discipled hundreds of college students in a powerful way, even though this tragedy happened in her life. Now, Dick was her mainstay, her best friend, her caretaker. I mean, he was her everything, and he served her well. And suddenly, two years ago, he gets stomach cancer and is gone in four months. Great opportunity to become bitter, to become angry, to become, I mean, every scheme of the enemy you can imagine would come against her. And yet, she has risen up and she's continued to walk uh, with God, continued to disciple and mentor students. Now, this is what we have to be careful. We don't say, what a great woman. We say, what a great God who would take an ordinary woman and do great things through them. Now, I say that because even now, there's, there's many of you saying, well, I, I, I can't do that. I mean, there's people that can do this, but I can't do this. You see, God has given us everything. It says in 2 Peter, by his divine power, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness, okay? And so it is the power of God working in us that enables us to be able to do this thing. And so uh, 
but it's still practical. So she, she, she spoke a message um, three weeks ago at her church, and she was talking about how God was, had worked in her life and transformed her life. And, and she was a person who was, uh, in her early years, habitually late, uh, just late to everything. And uh, the, the Holy Spirit began to convict her of the selfishness of being late. In fact, her husband, Dick, uh, gave a message one time, 10 evidences, uh, excuse me, evidences of a seared conscience. And one of those was, you are habitually late. Now, I heard that, and I felt deeply convicted. And I mean, because I was kind of habitually late. And uh, the Lord just really dealt with me. But for Joy, she needed a practical walk. And so she was telling this story. So she went to the bank, and she got a boatload of $1 bills. And every person that she met with, she gave them a dollar for every minute that she was late. And at first, you know, people, no, 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 you don't need to do that. No, she says, no, I need to do this, and you need to hold me accountable. So it was a practical way of transformation. And so when, when I say this changing of thinking, it does sometimes take practical um, avenues that God will give you to help you in that process. But it's still, it's the power of God, and he can work in you like he did in somebody else, maybe in a unique way. For me, I just heard the message, and every time I was late, I felt extreme shame. <laughs> I just felt extreme conviction. And so it really did change my life in that. God may have a very practical thing for you to get you to think in a new way, but it's going to be God, okay? You lean upon God, and then you obey the practical things he prompts you to do. And when you put those together, you can become, you can walk in a place of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. It's not outside of your reach. You say, well, I'm a habitual worrier, I'm a habitual fearful person, or I'm this or that. No, you're not. You are a righteous, victorious Christian. Let's say it again. I am. Okay. I am a righteous, victorious Christian because that who God, that's who God says I am. And we begin to change our thinking, and God may give you some practical things to do with that, but it's going to be the work of God. James says that Elijah was a, was a man just like us, right? And he prayed, and it didn't rain for three years, and then he prayed again, and it rained. Who started and stopped the rain? Who is going to start and stop the issues in your thinking that needed to be started and stopped? It's going to be God. Now, you're going to pray. You're going to seek God. But you lean upon his power. You have hope. You do not allow schemes and lies of the enemy that says you'll never change to keep you from walking into that place of victory. It is a process, okay? It's not a come out in Jesus' name. It's not a snap your fingers. It's not a one-time thing. It's going to be a lifetime process but you're going to find more joy, more peace, 
more overflowing victory as you walk that out. I mentioned the book, I think Pastor Tim did too, Living Fearlessly. I would recommend it again as just a tool to help you. It may not be the best tool for everybody, but it's, I think it's a good tool. But find something and say, Lord, I really want this to be imp- implemented in my life. I want to walk in the uh, sustained place of victory, and God will give that as you do. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word this morning, and I thank you for the fact that you have made a way that we can be righteous, victorious Christians. That, Lord, we don't have to be like the world that's, that's just in anxiety, that's in a place of fear, that's a place of, of uncertainty, but we've been given this strong foundation that, Lord, you do not change, and that whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. And I, I pray that for each one of us. Lord, there's some of us here uh, this morning that struggle more than others, and we are challenged in this area. Lord, I'm praying for extra grace. And I'm praying, Lord, for deep conviction within our hearts, a deep conviction that we truly are righteous and victorious, that, Lord, that we could then begin walking out of that. Lord, you may have some very practical, pragmatic uh, steps for us to take. I pray that you would just make those clear to us. But Lord, put within us the determination for Jesus' sake to walk in victory. For our neighbor's sake, for unsaved friends and, and, and uh, workmates' sake. And that Lord, when they see us, they would see that victory and they would long for it. So, Lord, I I just thank you that you have begun a good work. Lord, you are going to bring it to completion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.